0: Well, we are back in Ephesians this morning, and we are on the home stretch uh, for our study through the book of Ephesians. Next week, we will begin, I think, five weeks of studies uh, in the section on the armor of God. So we are going to be talking about spiritual warfare and how it is that we as believers are to stand strong and stand firm in this evil day in the Lord our God. So uh, please be praying about that, thinking toward that, preparing your hearts for that as we come together next week uh, to pick up that topic. Now as we draw near to the end of Ephesians, we return to this text that I preached from a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 6 verses 5 through 9, a text that deals really with the workplace we understand, of course, as I said two weeks ago, that originally this dealt with slaves and masters. And I mentioned in that message that the Bible has much to say to regulate and correct some of the ancient practices of slavery and, and all that went with that. Though the Bible would have outright forbidden the kind of slavery that was practiced in this country Uh, for all those years. And so there was, in those days, these conditions of work, these circumstances where Paul needed to speak into the church and into people's lives to tell them how to work. And if they were bosses, to tell them how to be good bosses. And you remember last time I mentioned that we all have our own little bossdom. There's some kind of bossdom that you have. There's, there's somebody probably, even if it's a 12-month-old child, uh, who is under your authority, who, who at some point or another you give orders to, you give commands to, and there is a way to be a good boss and there is a way not to be a good boss. And in our message two weeks ago, we looked at how to be a good boss. If you're interested, go back and listen to those To those, to that message. Today, I do want us to turn the table a little bit and look at the question of work and the workplace from the angle of those who do the work, those who are not the bosses, not the employers, but the workers, the employees. Paul has some things for us. And as we begin, I I do think we need to begin with just a couple of things in our minds right from the start. Point number one, work is good. Work is good. You'll remember that God is a worker. Jesus said from the first day till now, my Father is working. God is a creator. God is a worker. God is a producer. We remember that Jesus was a worker even on earth. He was a carpenter's son. He spent the first 30 years of his life essentially in an apprenticeship in a, in a carpentry shop. We have people like Paul who was a tent maker. Work is good. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Where God made Adam and Eve and said to them, I want you to have dominion over the earth. That means I want you to work in such a way that my kingdom advances over all the earth. And then he took Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden and said, now I want you to tend it and keep it. Those are work words. Work is a part of creation. As human beings made in the image of God, we are meant to produce. We are meant to do. We are meant to work. That's the first point. Never think of work as a bad thing. Right. Secondly, we need to be under, understand right from the start that even though work is good, it is under a curse. And so in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said to the woman, that her labor in childbirth would now intensify. In other words, was going to be a lot harder work giving birth than it used to be, than it would have been. Work was under a curse. And then God said to Adam what? It is by the sweat of your brow that you will bring bread from the earth. Work is good, sweat isn't. Sweat is a part of the curse. Some of you are thinking, that must mean, of all men, Tim Shorey is most cursed. Because, well, you know, you've seen it. It's not pretty. And I passed it on to my children. It's, it's It's a sad thing. It's a product of the curse. Work is good. Sweat and thorns and thistles and all the stuff that pushes back against our work is a part of the curse. We need to have that in mind because work is something God wants us to do and he, and he wants us to know that we're going to be up against it. It's not going to be easy to work. It's not going to be easy to do what we are called to do. And so we need to look at this text and say, all right, Lord, what is it you want us to learn here? How do we work? And here's here's my summary statement. Here's what I want you to get. I'm going to say this a number of times during this message so you'll have a chance to to get it all down on paper if you're so inclined. Here's, Here's the statement. Work is worship. Work is worship. And the quality and value of our work is not determined by what we do, but how we do it, and by the one for whom it gets done. Let me, let me repeat that. Work is worship. We're going to see that right from this text. Work is worship, and the quality and value of our job, of our work, is not determined by what we do, but by how we do it, and by the one for whom it is done. Let me, let me show this to you this afternoon. Work is good, work is worship and its value and its quality and its worth is determined, first of all, by how we do it. Paul, Paul tells us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how to work. He gives us five qualities or characteristics of good work and good workers. So here they are. Number one, we are to work reverently. Notice verse 5 of chapter 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Colossians says, fearing the Lord. Now we're, we're introduced here to a concept that I think too often is lost in our generation. In fact, it, it seems like we've, we meet all too few people who have an active functioning fear of God mode and 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 connection in their life. What do you think? Do, do, you, do you think we fear God enough? I know as a Christian you taught, well, we're not supposed to fear God. You know, perfect love cast out fear. And, and yes, that's true. What that's talking about though is a kind of cringing terror where you're, you're afraid that if, if you do something wrong, God's going to smash you. God's going to come down on you. God's going to stomp on you. No, that's that's not the point. The point of Biblical fear and, and, and reverence is that we stay aware of who God is. And we carry that awareness of who God is everywhere we go. So, if I were to have brought in with me this morning a lion. I don't know if you know this, lions go for about 400 pounds. And a lion's roar can be heard... Over five miles away. So if there were a lion here. And he let out a roar. They would be hearing it on the other other side of Havertown. Or if you were standing at the 69th Street Terminal. And a lion in the Philadelphia Zoo. Let out a roar. If it wasn't for all the city in between. You would hear it. that's impressive. Now now let's say that this morning I brought a lion like that with me and I and I chained it right here chained it in such a way that you knew it couldn't get to you the chain was an unbreakable kind of chain the lion wouldn't get to you uh, I still wonder how would you treat the lion What would be your attitude? Do you you think you kind of walk up to it and tweak its whiskers? Would you you kind of smirk at it? No, I I dare to say that you would be aware of its lion-ness. His lion-ness would fill the room, would fill our thoughts. A lion is a lion after all. And lions are to be treated with respect, even if chained. Friends, God has a certain godness to him. There is a certain greatness to God. There is a certain awesomeness to God. There is a certain holiness to God. There is a power in God. There is an everywhere-ness to God. There is an all-seeing-ness to God. There is all of this that go into God being God. And he is that Everywhere. And we are to live with that. Not cringing, oh, he's going to stomp on me. But respecting and reverencing and standing in awe and doing everything we do with an awareness that God is with us. That God is near. We are to work, Paul says, with fear and trembling. When you go to work tomorrow, go reverently realizing God is going with you. Secondly, Paul says we are to work sincerely. We see this in verse 5. Bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. The, the, the word speaks of a singleness or a purity of motives. We are to, we are to work as people who are genuinely, genuinely, Interested in serving our bosses, in serving our companies, in serving the place we work. We have a genuine, sincere concern. Work sincerely. Third, Paul says we are to work consistently. Notice verse 6. He says, obey your masters not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. What's he he saying here? What he he means here is don't work hard and obey and serve just when people are watching. Work the same whether they're watching or not. Work consistently whether your boss is around or whether he's on the other side of the world. We humans are almost incurably eye-pleasers. It's just, it's how we do our life. I was reminded this week of gym class back in high school and even younger. You remember, I, I was trying to remember what these weeks were called. They were tormenting weeks for me when they did all these tests to see what kind of physical fit, how physically fit you were. Do they still do that? Uh, you know, I hated those. It was just, you know, and push-up time came. You remember push-up time? You know. When the gym teacher's looking in your direction, you're doing push-ups. As soon as the gym t- teacher turned, you fall on your stomach and you take a break. You, anybody else do that? I, I did that. That's eye-pleasing. It's like the, like the time... Uh, Years ago when my office was in my home and and Galen and the kids were uh, getting ready to leave and go somewhere. I forget what it was all about. But Galen pokes her head into my office and says, hey, Tim, we're leaving now. And the first thought, the very first thought that came into my mind was, what can I eat? (laughs) I mean, what can I? And it just hit me that... It it really did hit me. It hit me with conviction. It hit me in a humbling kind of way in that moment. I'm living my life for the eye of my wife. I didn't mean that to rhyme there. Uh, This is eye-pleasing. This is people-pleasing. We seem almost incurably that. Believe me, as a pastor, it is one of the greatest temptations of a pastor... To work and serve for the eye and approval of man. But Paul says, no. Be consistent. If people are watching or if they're not watching, if the boss is looking or if the boss is not looking, work hard, put into it, give it everything you've got. Be consistent. Work consistently. Fourth, we are to work heartily. Heartily. Notice verse 6. Of chapter six, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart, with your heart in it. You ever done something and said my heart wasn't in it? Paul says, get your heart in it. Get your heart in it. In Colossians three, that. The text that our brother read earlier, servants, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. A Christian work ethic connects hand, what we do, with heart, how we feel, how we put ourselves into it. When we were, uh, when our youngest son was five years old, uh, we were sitting in our dining room table back over in Jersey and... Uh, having dinner and I looked out the, the dining room window and I noticed this bumper crop of dandelions. You, you need to understand that we always did well with dandelions. Could never raise anything else, but dandelions we did well on. I'm not sure what our Lord was thinking about when he made dandelions. They, they go up maybe 8 or 10 inches. They go down 18. I mean, it's true. They're, they're they're longer underground than they are above ground. and, and they're, they're, But this particular evening, I look out the window, and there's, just, there's this bumper crop. I mean, there, there are thousands of, of dandelions in our front yard. And, and I had this brainy idea, not because I thought it would do any good for the dandelions, but I just thought it would be fun, and I thought our five-year-old David would enjoy it. I said, David, I'll tell you what. We'll give you a penny for every dandelion you pick. And his eyes just bugged out. I mean, it, you know, he, he, he was thrilled with this. Finished dinner, ran outside, started picking dandelions. His older brother follows him out. And as David, this five-year-old, is just grabbing up fistfuls of dandelions, uh, his brother overhears David saying, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to buy toys, I'm going to be rich. And he about ten minutes later, he comes up in with 736 dandelions. That is working heartily. Wasn't working heartily as unto the Lord, I assure you. Uh, This was not worship for him. This was pure, unadulterated human greed going on here. But it was hearty work. He was into it. He was into it. That's, That's what we're called to. Whatever your hand finds to do, Ecclesiastes tells us, do it with your might. Be hard workers. Be hearty workers. This is Paul's counsel to us. And then finally, we are to work cheerfully. Verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Good will speaks of a cheerful disposition. A pleasant intention to bring kindness others it's a it's the opposite of grumpiness it's the opposite of reluctance it's a it's a good heart I read somewhere uh, recently about somebody at work who said how can I soar with the eagles if I have to work with turkeys <laughs> so, yeah. that's not the attitude all right goodwill goodwill Cheerfulness. Be, be Paul, basically, Paul is saying to us as Christians be the kindest, be the most thoughtful, be the most considerate, be the most cheerful, be the most, most helpful human being on site wherever you work. That's a biblical work ethic. Paul says work reverently, fearing God and respecting authority. Work sincerely. With nothing but pure motives, work consistently, whether seen or unseen, work hard and work well, work heartily, working from our hearts and with our hearts, and work cheerfully with a kind disposition and joy. And that is the kind of work that is worship. Work is worship, I repeat. And the quality and value of our job is not determined by what we do, but by how we do it. And by the one for whom it is done. I want you to see this in the text. Who do we work for? When you, when you go off to work tomorrow morning, who are you going to work for? Well, to be sure, in one sense, you're working for your boss, you're working for your company. And so Paul says what? Obey your boss, obey your masters, serve them. So yes, in one sense, when we work at the job, we are, we are honoring the authority and serving the interest and the well-being of our boss and of our company. But I don't want us to miss, we dare not miss The higher truth of this text. There are three phrases in these verses that we have to see if we're going to understand how we are to work. There are three phrases that begin with the little word, as. Alright? Look in verse 5. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Verse 6. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. And verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. That's why work is worshipped. Because when you're working at the job, when you're laboring at home, moms who are stay-at-home workers laboring with your children, whether you're changing a diaper, whether you're, you're turning a wrench, whether you're punching a computer, whether you're taking pictures, whether you're engineering a bridge, whatever it is, Paul says, do it as to the Lord. Do it as an offering of worship and praise to God. Everything we do, if done with God in mind, becomes a sacrifice of praise to Him. Paul says, we, it is worship. It is worship. It is as to the Lord. It is as bondservants of Christ. Friends, we do have a master. All our earthly bosses and masters, well, they just, they come and go. We can walk away from them. But we have a master. We have one Lord, we have one Master who bought us with His precious blood, who has made us His own. So we are not our own, Paul says. We have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body and your spirit that are God's. He is our Master, He is our Lord. So when I go to work, when I go to the office, I'm not serving my boss primarily, I'm serving Jesus primarily. And it becomes worship. This applies to everything. This changes everything. This means, friends, there's no such thing as menial work. There's there's no such thing as, as humble, unworthy work. All work becomes holy work when done for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it with all your might as to the Lord this is transforming this 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 will change how you get up in the morning this will change how you commute tomorrow morning it'll change it I've had all kinds of jobs in my life I I landscaped I did McDonald's for a while flipped I did the morning shift flip I made a mean egg McMuffin uh, I I was I uh, what else did I do um, I worked at UPS, loaded up the brown delivery trucks, I I, um, worked in a machine shop, made zillions and zillions and zillions of little screws, screw machine shop, Um, I was even a model, (laughs) I was, I was, that's right, that's right, I won't tell you how long my gig lasted, but i just say that I was a model, I worked as a model. I didn't like that last laugh right there. <laughs> it was, that was as if it finally sunk into whoever that was. And, and, and the sheer folly of it just, just struck him. Uh, there, there was one job I had, one of my more recent jobs, about four and a half years ago, when we moved here to this area, moved uh, uh, and, and started attending Covenant Fellowship Church. The church there very graciously gave me a, a job uh, to kind of help ends, make ends meet. And he, I was working as part of the building crew. And the job that I was given at one point, and this lasted for several weeks, if not two or three months, was to take inventory of everything in the building. If you've ever been to Covenant Fellowship, I think it's a 30,000 square foot building. And my job was to walk into every closet, climb into every storage place, look on every shelf, hunt down everything in the building, every chair, every lamp, not every pencil. They drew a line somewhere there. Not every pencil. But my job was to take inventory of it all. Dozens and dozens and dozens of pages And I needed to put down serial numbers. I needed, I mean it was name, or the item, the company, serial number, how many we had of them, every item in Covenant Fellowship. I know where everything is in that building. Did this for weeks and months. So I get in my car on Monday mornings, drive 40 minutes to work to record serial numbers. But I'm here to tell you something. Somehow, by the grace of God, I experienced it as worship. There was something inside of me functioning in those moments, somewhat close to the right way. I can do even this for the glory of God. I can crawl under, I went under the stage there, you you know, and counted all the old chairs. I mean, it's just... I could go into these places. I could count it all for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Work is worship. And the quality and the value of our job is not determined primarily by what we do, but how we do it. And by the one for whom it is done. Now you say, well, that's going to take motivation more than what I've got in my own heart right now. Well, let me give you one more thing as I close. Paul knows we need motivation. He knows we need incentive. So read, go with me back to chapter 6 and verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye services people pleasers but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man and here's the incentive knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the Lord there is the ultimate payday those are the ultimate wages. Paul is saying this. Whatever you do, do it heartily, do it sincerely, do it reverently, do it consistently, do it as worship. And the day will come when God will say to you, well done, and reward you for it. You may be massively underpaid underappreciated, and overworked right now. But hear me, based on the Word of God, the authority of Scripture, I am here to tell you that the day is going to come when you get all of it back. You will have eternal rewards. You say, really? You mean how I treat my boss, how I work with my fellow workers? Somehow or other, God notices that? Yes, all of it. And somehow or other... I'm going to get a well done for that. I'm going to get a reward for that. I'm going to to get the smile of my father for that. Yes, you are. However God chooses to reward on that day, I am here to tell you, it is going to be one glorious payday. God doesn't let us serve without Him rewarding us for our service. This is amazing. This is amazing. Now, don't get confused. This is not saying, be a good worker and you'll earn your way into heaven. This is not saying, work hard and you'll you'll merit eternity or eternal life. No, you can't do that. You can't work hard enough. You know, you can have a zillion good works, but you still have a problem, and that is the bad works you've already done. You could be good the rest of your life. And never make another mistake and still have your past to reckon f- with. See, because good works don't undo bad works. A murderer can't become an unmurderer, it just can't be done. A thief can't become an unthief by all of a sudden turning the corner and doing some right things. No. Once the deed is done, the deed is done. And we're accountable to God for it. So you say, well, what hope is there for us? if... if if I get it perfectly right from here on out, then how, how, do I, how do I ever get to heaven? Because I've not gotten it right before. That's where Jesus comes in. That's, that's the gospel. That, Jesus is the one who got it right. Jesus is the one who always did good works. Jesus is the one who never did a bad work. And Jesus is the one who, on the cross, did the ultimate good work, giving himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Taking away all the debt we owed, all the guilt we had for all the bad works done. Wiping it clean, washing the record clean, making us whole, making us forgiven. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Jesus, you know, people ask, are we saved by good works? No and yes. You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved by His good works. You are saved by the good work and the good works of Jesus Christ. So this isn't about doing the right thing at the workplace so that you can go to heaven. This is this, Paul is saying, if you as a believer in Jesus Christ, who are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you go to work and work reverently and sincerely and consistently, and heartily, and cheerfully, as unto Christ, if you work as an expression of worship, then the day's going to come when you're going to stand before your heavenly Father, you're going to stand before your Lord Jesus Christ, your wonderful Master and Savior, and you're going to hear Him say, well done, well done good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but that gives me enough reason to get up in the morning. That gives me enough reason to put my hand to the plow. That gives me enough reason to make the commute to work. Because I know I'm going to be worshiping my God there. And in so doing, honoring Him, and you can be very sure, it will be bearing witness for Christ. And he will be glorified as others see your good work and works wherever you are. May God give us grace to embrace this, to live this, to enjoy this. This changes everything. It changes everything. We live in a day, we live in a world where people hate work. They live for the weekend. God is saying to us, now live for today. Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, whatever day. Live today for the glory of God wherever you are. Let's pray. We're going to have communion together and celebrate. We're going to celebrate the good work and works of Jesus together as we close our worship. So if the ushers could be preparing for that, uh, let me pray and ask his blessing. Father, would you please write these truths upon our hearts. Teach us these truths in such a way that they become part of us. And they get lived out, not sometime next month or next year, but lived out today, lived out tomorrow, lived out this week. Father, we we ask this for your glory. And we thank you for the promise of reward. In Jesus' name. Amen.